Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to study from God's word today. A message I've titled Joy to the World. How many in here, by a raised hand, have, have ever heard of a town called Spruce Pine, North Carolina? Okay, we got one. Very good. So you probably wouldn't know what this little town of 2,216 people is known for. Spruce Pine is known for the finest courts in all the world. In fact, there's an article written about this titled, The Humble Mineral That Transformed the World. The writer said, millions of the digital devices around the world, perhaps the device you hold in your hand, carry a piece of the small North Carolina town inside of them. A local mine manager there in Spruce Pine said this, it boggles my mind a bit to consider that in every cell phone and in every computer chip today, you'll find courts from Spruce Pine, North Carolina. It's amazing what can come from a small town, isn't it? But as Christians, we can do one better today, can't we? We celebrate a humble savior who was born in a little obscure town called Bethlehem. He's better than a mineral. He grew up to be the greatest and most transformational person in history. His name is Jesus Christ. Luke calls upon us today as Christians to celebrate his birth. I want to read one verse. We're going to study 21 verses. Don't get scared. I'm, I'm going to go fast. But I want, to, I want to read one verse as kind of our theme verse of the text. Verse number 10. I want you to read it out loud with me. Would you do that? And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Luke is calling on us to find joy in the humble birth of Jesus Christ. As I study the Christmas story from Luke's perspective, I see four reasons for joy. In the Christmas story. Number one, the working of God's providence. We can rejoice today in the working of God's providence. Look at verses one through verses five. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, when you study this section of Luke 2, it's really staggering when you consider how everything shakes out leading up to the birth of Jesus. We're told about Caesar Augustus. In verse 1, he was probably the most powerful man in the known world at the time. Some even nicknamed him the Son of God and worshipped him as such. But what we find here is that God actually used Caesar Augustus in a really big way to, to bring about his plan for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. We, we could call it political providence. God used a political figure or leader to accomplish his sovereign Purposes. If you know your Old Testament, you know that Micah prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That, that was God's plan. But there was a problem. Jesus' parents didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. So how is it that they're going to get to Bethlehem and fulfill this promise? 
That's where Caesar comes in. God's going to use him to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem by way of a census. As one writer says, and I love this, he said, emperors can make fine servants, even if they're utterly clueless as to what has taken place. That can be a real comfort to us today. If God can use some secular census and some political figure to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ, what might he be doing in our lives today that we don't know about? God's provision is an amazing thing. When you study the word provision, you see two Latin words, the word pro and the word video. Taken together, these words mean this, to see beforehand. God's providence in our lives means that he can see farther down the road of life than we can. And that he's always working things out ahead of us in ways that we can't see or notice. One person said it like this. In fact, it was Pastor Tony Evans. He said God's prevision leads to God's provision. He sees what we need before we need it. And then he goes ahead of us, pulling the strings and working out how he's going to provide those things for us. Maybe this Christmas you're fearful about how some things are going to shake out in your life this next year. You can't see as far down the road of life as you wish you could. But here's the encouragement. God can see. And God is working ahead of you to accomplish his sovereign purposes in your life. He he might even be working out his will through some unordinary circumstances or uncomfortable circumstances or even unlikely people. But we find comfort that if God can use a political figure like Caesar Augustus to provide the birthplace for the Son of God, then he can use just about anybody or anything to accomplish his plan for your life. Don't fear. Don't get worried. Don't get anxious. God is ahead of you. Notice, secondly, we can find joy in the wonder of Christ's incarnation. Look at verse 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The word incarnate means to be embodied in flesh or or in human form. In theological terms, the incarnation refers to God becoming a man. It's the union of deity and humanity. And what we see in verse 7 is just how human Jesus' birth became. He was born in a shelter made for animals because there was no room for him in the inn, the text says. Now, when we think of the word inn, we think of our modern day, modern day hotels. Like all the rooms are filled up in the inn. But, but that's really not what is meant here. By, by thinking of, of, of the inn in modern day terms like a hotel we, we've, we've kind of come up with this mystical Christmas carol uh, character rather that we call the innkeeper. He was really rude and he was busy and he was irritable. And when Mary knocked on the door and said, can, can we get a room? He slammed the door in her face and said, no room in the inn. Well, the word inn doesn't mean hotel. It means a guest room. So, so it was a house. There was always houses And most of them had a guest room attached because hospitality was such a big deal in that day. And because there were so many travelers coming to Bethlehem for the census, Mary and Joseph couldn't find a house which also had a guest house that was available. But they say that most houses included a lower deck area that was used as a shelter for their animals. 
And that's what Mary and Joseph found at the time. Thus, when Jesus was born, his first crib was a feeding trough for animals. A manger. This is the wonder of the incarnation. That Jesus, the the Son of God, made his entrance into the world through a poor girl from Nazareth, his nursery a stable, and his crib a manger. God went about this in such a unique way, didn't he? I mean, everything about his birth scene is opposite of man's wisdom. We would never choose this plan. We would never choose this place for Jesus' birth. I mean, imagine doing strategic planning for Jesus' birth and the salvation of the world, and you're his chief of staff. Imagine Jesus coming to you and saying, all right, here are my goals. 2,000 years from now, I would like the entire world to know my name. I'd like about, oh, a fourth of the world to center their lives on me. And I would like about two-thirds of civilization to be based on my teaching. Now, I know those are some lofty goals, but I want you to get it done. How are you going to reach those goals? And you say something like this. Well, Jesus, after thinking about it, here's my conclusion. You need to make sure you're born in a manger. You need to spend most of your life in obscurity, totally off the grid. Jesus, you should never live in a major urban area. Stay outside of all the political networks. And just as you're beginning your career, right in your prime, you need to get executed. You would never come up with a plan like that. And that's why God's plan of salvation is so staggering. That's why his wisdom in the incarnation is so amazing. It could be why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The wonder of the incarnation, listen, is that God would become flesh the way he did and dwell among men, that he would leave heaven, that he would make himself of no reputation, that he would take upon him the form of a servant, that he would be made into the likeness of man and then humble himself, not just to be born in a manger, but also die on a Roman cross. I'm reminded of the old Squire Parsons song that says, he came to me. Oh, he came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. And aren't you thankful he came to you? You can find joy in the wonder of its incarnation. Notice, thirdly, we can find joy in the words of the angels. I love this. Look at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, we shouldn't underestimate the value of the angels' works to Luke's readers. And even to us today. Because if all that was recorded was was verses 1 through 7, that that a young couple gave birth to a child, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a feeding trough. 
then we would have no idea what the purpose of all that was. We'd be scratching our heads. See, anytime something unique or weird happens, we need some explanation. That's what the angel's words give us. The meaning of verses 1 through 7 is boiled down to one verse in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus is called Christ. He's called the Lord. And he's called the Savior. He's called Christ because he was the king they'd been waiting for. He's called Lord because he was more than a man. He was divine. He's called Savior. Here's why. Because that's what the world needed more than anything. Max Cato said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But, 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 but since our greatest need, I love this, since our greatest need was forgiveness, what did God send us? A savior. Now, now for some, the, the, the fact that Jesus was a savior would have been a hard gift to accept. And here's why. Because it meant that they would have to first admit they needed one. For the average Jewish person, that would have been hard to admit when they saw Jesus, their king, born in a feeding trough. It makes me think of some of the gifts we receive at Christmas. There, there's typically joy in Receiving gifts, right? Because most of the time they're just, it's easy to get. It's real easy to receive. But there, there could be some gifts that require humility to receive. Like if someone bought you mouthwash for Christmas. I mean, what is that saying to you? Or, or if someone bought you a year's supply of slim fast shakes. I mean, what's that saying about your figure or what they think of it anyway? Or someone bought you a book titled How to Overcome Self-Centeredness. I mean, like your wife gave that to you. and she, Before you opened it, she said, babe, I, I've been looking for weeks, searching everywhere on what to get you. And the best thing that came to mind is a book on how you can overcome selfishness. That would be hard. An indictment on your character. In much of the same way, Jesus being presented to the world as their savior is actually an indictment on the world. It's a realization that we're not our own saviors and we never could be. We're sinners, the Bible says. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To receive Jesus as your savior, you first have to humbly admit that you need him. If you've never done that, if you've never humbled yourself to receive the gift of Jesus as your Savior for your sin, you're missing out, my friend, on the greatest gift you could ever receive this Christmas. I found that those who rejoice most at Christmas time are those who have recognized personally their desperate need for Jesus. Those who've humbly admitted that they can't take care of their sin on their own. Those who have relied fully on what Jesus did for them through his death and resurrection to make them right with God. Those are the people who can truly know joy this Christmas. Let me give you one more thing that we can find joy from in this story. It's the witness of the shepherds. We sung about this in our opening Christmas carol this morning. Go tell it on the mountain. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which is told them concerning this child. 
And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let me ask you a question. If you had a big story to tell, big news, how would you get that out? Today, you might leak the story to a prominent journalist. You, you might go tell the authorities. You might hold a press conference. You might let it be known on social media and hope that it gains some sort of traction. But that's not how God decided to announce the birth of his son, the savior of the world. He chose the means of shepherds. Now, this is remarkable. Think about it. There were lots of people to to whom this angelic choir could have chosen to appear on that first Christmas Eve, right? They, They could have appeared in the luxurious palace of Herod, the acting king of Israel at the time. It was located just a few miles away. They could have chosen Rome, the capital of the world. They could have chosen the high priest chambers in the temple right there in Jerusalem. Instead, they chose to announce Jesus' birth to a group of unnamed, illiterate shepherds in an unnamed field in an unknown part of Israel. So what were shepherds exactly? Well, they might seem quaint to us. We've seen our number of Christmas pageants. Cute robes, iconic little hook staffs, furry little sheep in tow. But they were anything but cute to ancient Israelites. Shepherding, in fact, was the lowest form of labor available. The ultimate expression of unskilled labor. A job often given to kids or migrant workers. If if a Jewish, as a Jewish adult, you were still a shepherd as an adult, you were viewed as a total life fail. They were so low class that their testimony wouldn't even be considered in court unless it was first verified by someone else. And of all the people in the world, God chose to announce the birth of Jesus to them. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the good news of Christmas, the message of Christ is for everyone. Verse 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. You've been given a savior. We've all been given a savior. And there's no greater proof that the savior is for all than the fact that God announced it to first to a group of poor, forgotten, messy, untalented, unpopular in the culture's eyes, failures and shepherds. And did you notice the shepherd's response? They said, let's go see. Man, I wish more people would respond with this kind of curiosity to Jesus before just dismissing him or ignoring him altogether. At least be willing to come and see. And it says next that that they came with haste. That means they didn't procrastinate. They didn't spend weeks thinking about what they were going to do with the news of Jesus. They didn't even say maybe next Sunday. No, they responded with faith and action Immediately, a famous invitation hymn says this. Why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in his sanctified throne. The next verse says, why do you hope, dear? What do you hope, dear brother? To gain by a further delay. There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but his way. The last verse says, why do you wait, dear brother? The harvest is passing away. Your Savior is longing to bless you. There's danger and death 
in delay. Sometimes we think there's only two answers to Jesus' invitation. Yes or no. But sometimes the most common answer given today is neither yes or no. It's not now. The danger with saying not now to Jesus is that another opportunity may never come. Tomorrow is never promised, which is why the Apostle Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Notice one more thing about the witness of these shepherds. After they saw Jesus, it says they made known to others everything they heard and saw about him. These shepherds then became the world's first missionaries. John Calvin says of them, though God had at his command many honorable and distinguished witnesses, he passed by them and chose shepherds, person of humble rank and of no account among men. And the same is true to this day. God is on the move, building his church around the world, mostly through people you will never hear about. Folks without significant Twitter followings, people with no official titles, people the world would never recognize as significant or influential. I'm talking today about people like you and me. The corner, Southwest Kansas. Normal, everyday followers of Christ who live our lives to make him known to our circle of influence. That's how God announced the arrival of King Jesus. And that's how God still builds his kingdom today. Here's what we learn from these shepherds. Found people, find people. These shepherds didn't find Jesus. He found them. Met them in an unknown and obscure field. And when they were found, these shepherds went and found others. I hope that if God has found you today, that you'll use this holiday season as a time to find others. Did you know there are hurting people all around you today, even in this room? You do understand that Christmas isn't as joyful for some as it is for others. For various reasons. But everybody carries something hurtful with them into a holiday like this. And I hope that you'll be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody you see that might be hurting today. Or lonely today. Some in your own family who you know don't know Jesus. Jesus has found you. Why don't you help them find him? The hymn writer said, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. So where can we find joy this Christmas? Well, we can find joy in the working of God's providence. If you're anxious, you're worried about something in your life and how it's going to work out. Remember, God used a census and a Caesar to bring about his plan. And he can use about anything or anybody to bring about his plan for your life. You can find joy in the wonder of Christ's incarnation. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could know him and he could know us. We can find joy in the words of the angels. Christ the Savior is born. Not Christ the scientist, not Christ the educator. Christ the Savior. He wants to save you from your sin. We can find joy in the witness of the shepherds. Normal, everyday people who God uses to help others find and follow Jesus. If you agree with the Bible today, say amen. Amen. I hope you can find joy in one of these four things or certainly in all four of them from the Christmas story today.